Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden, short-timer Vicar Golden. We are uh, gathering each week. We take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday Divine Service. We look at the one and only Savior from sin, Jesus Christ, and we do it through the lens of the one-year series of readings from Lutheran Service Book. Our Gospel reading for... Trinity 7, the seventh Sunday after Trinity, is Mark 8, 1 to 9. In one sense, it's a familiar story. In another sense, it's um, kind of an obscure story. So what what are we talking about here? Well, first of all, it's more than just a story. It's the Word of God. It's a miracle, and a miracle that is recorded for us, I believe, only in the Gospel of Mark. Vicar, take it away. Mark 8, 1 to 9. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, He said that these also should be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Okay, there you have it, the feeding of the 4,000. Pastor, uh, people who are critical of the Bible will, will look at this account and say, well, obviously this is a mistake, um, you know, it's a it's a duplication. It really is just a, a different way of telling the same story, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of 5,000 that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Um, how, how should Bible-believing Lutheran Christians respond to that kind of criticism of God's Word? Well, um, it would be historical revisionism to say something like that. We have the reality is that uh, both these feedings actually took place, but the details are different. They took place in different locations. There were different uh, numbers of starting materials. There were different numbers of people recorded. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that Matthew and Mark both record this, and both of them likely were eyewitnesses of this uh, happening, this event. And so since we have eyewitness accounts from two different locations that uh, uh, tell us more than one feeding took place, it'd be a hard thing for us to look back 2,000 years and say, no, that didn't happen that way. Uh, It would be uh, intellectually dishonest to say so. 
And it would also mean that uh, Mark was quite an idiot because we have the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, and now to turn right around in Mark chapter 8, the uh, feeding of the 4,000, uh, th- that's just that's ludicrous. That's silly. It is, and and that's the thing, right? It's easy for us 2,000 years later to look back and say, look how this is recording something historically wrong when we have eyewitness accounts that say one thing very specifically. And and think about it for other events. We don't do that, right? We don't talk about, uh, you know, Julius Caesar and uh, the siege of Elysia and say, no, he didn't really have two sets of uh, uh, battlements surrounding him as he was uh, attacking that city or whatever. We can't go back and do that. we have to take them at their word because there's no other way to record history. And I, th- I think this is important right now in our, our world and in our country. As we look back on history, we need to take it uh, at face value and not try and change it or reinterpret it to what we want. We just have to believe it to be true because that's what's recorded for us. The, uh, the topic of history revisionism uh, has, been, has been with us for quite some time, but it has taken on a whole new level recently. So uh, I appreciate those words. Pastor, speaking of history, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered, um, what days are we talking about here? And uh, what's been going on that these great crowds are gathering around Jesus? Yeah. Uh, Well, we have this uh, recorded for us in two places, in Matthew and in Mark. In Matthew, it's right after uh, John the Baptist is beheaded, but in Mark, uh, it's a little bit different, uh, not to say it's uh, a different account, but when we look at it from different perspectives, we see different events. And so right before this in the Gospel of Mark, we have uh, Jesus, he's doing some teaching, uh, and he also, I think, has opened the ears of a... um, Uh, a deaf person, Uh, and so we have these uh, events that have taken place. He cleanses a leper uh, and and things like that that are right before these these words. It's uh, it's interesting to note that in uh, uh, both Matthew and Mark, we have the beheading of John the Baptist, but only in Mark do we have, we have nearly a whole chapter devoted to the beheading of John the Baptist. We have a very long and detailed account, and that's kind of the nature of the Gospel of Mark. He is, uh, everything is very quick, very rapid, immediately, immediately. He's telling the story, telling the story, and then he gets to a spot, a, a seemingly insignificant spot, and he parks the car there. And he gives us great details, minute details that we wouldn't have any place else but here in the Gospel of Mark. And then he's right back, going immediately, right. immediately, immediately. And I think that's why each Gospel account stands on its own. Um, it would uh, The Gospel of Mark is by far the shortest, and so it would be a great time to spend some time in the Gospel of Mark uh, with you or your family, especially if you're cooped up at home, you can't watch baseball. Um, you know, nobody wants to watch the NBA, so uh, you just as well sit around and, uh, as a family, read God's Word. This would be a great place to dig in. And it's worth pointing out that the events that happen right before this in the Gospel of Mark as well are taking place in Tyre and Sidon, which would be Philistine cities, which would be uh, an example already of Jesus beginning to go to the nations. It's not just for Jews that Christ comes, but it's for all the people of all the world. He sees them all as one people, not uh, um, different sets of people. And, and this is an important thing for this section of Scripture as well. 
Early on in our text, we have a, a, a very power-packed word in Mark 8, verse 2. I have compassion on the crowd. That compassion word, vicar. What can you, uh, what can you tell us about that word compassion and why it's significant? Well, it's even a fun word to say, splagnitzomai. It is a gut-wrenching compassion. Literally, your guts are turning from the compassion, from Jesus' compassion he has on others. So we have this gut-wrenching, gut-turning feeling going on inside of Jesus. He has compassion on the crowd because they've been with him for three days and have had nothing to eat. What in the world they've been doing for three days, Pastor? Uh, they've been at church, and uh, so just to keep that in mind uh, as well, uh, how important it is to be in church and how eager people ought to be to hear God's Word, that uh, three days of doing so is not uh, an overwhelming amount. These people would rather starve to death than stop hearing God's Word preached by Jesus. And I'm not saying that your preachers are Jesus. We're definitely not, but uh, it's important to be in God's house and in God's um, Word, and that's what these people have been doing, listening to Jesus. We, we have all had times when we have been so enamored, so engrossed, so zeroed in, so focused, whatever word you want to use, we've been so connected to something that's going on. Maybe it's a sporting event. Maybe it's a, a music concert. You know, whatever it is, we, are, we lose track of time. We lose track of time. We forget to eat. I know sometimes people are that way with work. You're just so busy with work, you just don't even have time to stop and eat lunch or take a break. Uh, this is what we're talking about here. The people of God are hearing the word of God preached from Jesus' lips. And this is going on for three days. And nobody is whining and complaining that the service is taking too long. Nobody is whining and complaining that... Uh, um, the the snack bar isn't open. Nobody is complaining about the roast in the oven uh, or the kids' softball game that's going to start. They are just so enamored with the Word of God, they lose track of time. And it's it's not a well orchestrated uh, revival meeting either. You know, with uh, lots of things designed to keep people excited and uh, enamored. It's just preaching. It is just preaching, merely preaching, as the critics of God's word would say. And yet, while the people have kind of lost track of time, Jesus hasn't. Jesus knows that they've been there three days. Jesus has compassion on them. Why? Because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Pastor, the fact that Jesus notices and cares that the people are hungry. What are we to make of that? Well, uh, it is the reality that Jesus is God, specifically God the Father, as we learn in the small catechism, who has made me and all creatures, given us our body, soul, eyes, ears, our reason, and all our members. Uh, he also gives us clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animal, and all that we have. Uh, he richly and daily provides all that we need to support this body and life. The same God that we speak of in the first article of the Creed is also Jesus, and so he knows when his people need things, and he knows how to provide them uh, accordingly. It, uh, it is amazing to me how people will be so focused on 
the forgiveness of sins, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, that they think foolishly that God does not care about our physical needs, that God does not care about the first article kind of gifts that you talked about, that he richly and daily provides me all that I need to support this body and soul, this body and life, and that we completely detach the things of this world from the things eternal. And the two are intimately connected. And if we think that God doesn't care about the things of this world, then we become our own God with regard to the things of this world. And if we think that God only cares about the things of this world, then we make light of the forgiveness of sins and salvation that he and only he can provide. So when we have a miracle text, any miracle for that matter, a healing or a calming a storm or whatever. But here, as we get into this feeding of the 4,000, keep this in mind. God cares about his children, body and soul. The first article, the second article, and the third article, they are all one unit as we confess the triune God. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll be back in just a moment. We're looking at the readings for the seventh Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. to K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship, 8 and 10.30 on Sunday morning, 6.30 every Wednesday evening year-round. You can always listen to us on KNNALP 95.7. Any worship service that we have, we broadcast live. You can also check us out on the website for the radio station, thecross957.org, the church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org, or our YouTube channel, and for a search, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Media. Okay, we got all that stuff out of the way now. Mark 8, 1-9, the gospel reading for the seventh Sunday after Trinity. Uh, Pastor, I, I just want to touch one more, one more uh, time on this uh, the fact that Jesus cares about us physically. Is it fair to say that if you can't trust Jesus to take care of you physically, why in the world would you want to trust him to take care of you eternally? I think that's a, a fair question, and I think the dangerous thing is sometimes we think that God is not providing for us physically, right? We say, uh, well, look, um, I have this disease, I have cancer, I have Alzheimer's, I have Parkinson's, or, um, you know, we say, look at all the starving people that there are in the world. Uh, look at these people who are unable to, uh, you know, have enough to eat every day and grow normally, uh, and all these diseases, right? 
uh, coronavirus that we're dealing with right now. We say, is that really God taking care of us? And the answer is, uh, these things also are affected by sin, which we have brought into the world and corrupted the world. And we also say that God gives us everything that we need to support this body and life. And God's understanding for that is long-term, eternal, uh, that he's talking about as well. And so, you know, why don't I have a huge mansion with a, a fancy sports car and all this stuff? Well, that's not really something that I need. God does give that to some, but he also does not give it to others. And that's just fine and dandy because God does what he what God wants. But um, he does provide for us physically in this world. The food that we get, he's caused to grow. The clothes that we wear, he's caused to be created and made and manufactured. He works through all those systems, even, you know, uh, on behalf of our vicar here, he even works at Walmart to uh, sell the things to us that we, we need. He does take care of us in this world, and he promises to take care of our souls and our bodies even in the next world to come. It is, uh, it is difficult to remember that when things aren't going the way you want. And it doesn't have to be a, a financial or a, a sickness kind of a thing either. It can be the single person who longs for a Christian spouse. It can be the Christian family that longs to have a child, but uh, they're not able to conceive it can be, it, this sin manifests itself in a variety of ways, and this is always the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh twisting these things uh, that are the consequences of sin to try to get us to not trust in God. And we need to see them for what they are. We need to repent of our sin and once again hear the good news of how God provides. Okay, so we're back in our text, Mark 8. And um, so Jesus has compassion. He's worried that he's going to send them hungry to their homes. Some of them have come from a long way. They might faint on the way. And uh, so in verse 4, one of his disciples is a bit of a skeptic. What's going on there, Vicar? Well, how can he doesn't believe that uh, my microphone just went out? Okay, keep talking. Oh, okay, you can hear me, all right. Um, he doesn't believe that uh, one could be fed by anything because the place is desolate. There's probably not even farms around, no food whatsoever. Okay, so, you know, there's no quick shop around the corner or 24-hour high V or anything like that. There's just nothing available. There's nothing there. Um, so then Jesus takes inventory, and he says, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and uh, to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd, and they also had a few small fish. So loaves and fish, this sounds like the prior uh, miracle, but as Pastor Moline uh beautifully said in our first segment, this is a completely different miracle. The details are different. Uh, There was much grass in the place where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. It was more of a lush place. This is more of a desolate area. We have five fish, and here we have seven fish. The loaves are not numbered. And so uh, the question that I want to ask Pastor in verse 6, he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them. Uh, that giving thanks word there is a form of the word uh, Eucharist, uh, 
So is Jesus having the Lord's Supper here? Well, um, not yet. He hasn't instituted the Lord's Supper yet, but what he's doing is he's laying a foundation so that we might understand the Lord's Supper more clearly and understand how it is that God provides for his church in the Lord's Supper. Uh, And so we have this mirroring of the language of the Lord's Supper that helps us so that when we actually see the Lord's Supper, we can comprehend all the details and the subtleties of what's going on in the Lord's Supper. And so it's preparing for the Lord's Supper. Okay, so we uh, w- we don't have a Holy Communion with bread and fish, but we have a foretaste of the feast to come. Anytime there is a miraculous feeding going on that... Uh, fix our eyes forward to the ongoing feast. This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia, alleluia. At the Lamb's high feast we sing. That's our bumper music. So um, it isn't the Lord's Supper, but if you're thinking when there's this divine miracle of feeding, if you're thinking about the Lord's Supper, that's not a bad thing. That's That's where God wants our mind and our heart to go. Okay, so uh, Jesus blesses the fish and the loaves, the disciples set before them. Verse 8, again, Mark in his uh, terse way, doesn't give us a lot of details. And they ate and they were satisfied. Pastor, on a human level, on a first article gift level, what does it mean that they ate and were satisfied? It means that they, I mean, to put it in terms that maybe we understand, Thanksgiving afternoon, right? Uh, when you're full and you've had enough and you couldn't eat anymore and everything was satisfactory and to your liking, that's the sort of thing they're talking about. Okay, so nobody went away hungry. They ate until they couldn't eat anymore. And uh, hopefully not the sin of gluttony, but they ate and were satisfied. That satisfied word is a very, very important and key word. Vicar, um, what is the clue in the text that not only did they eat and were satisfied, but that Jesus provided way, 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 way more than was needed? Well, starting with seven loaves and a few fish, now they have seven baskets full of loaves and fish left over. Okay, so uh, we have a miracle of abundance here, that's for sure. Uh, Jesus provides so that we make sure we don't run out. He gives us more than we need. I think that tells us something about the nature of our gift-giving God. He's not stingy with his gifts. He doesn't give us just enough to get by. Uh, there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Okay, Pastor. So what? So what? Some people went to church. Church lasted a long time. They were hungry, and the preacher provided food for them to eat. So what? What's the big deal here? Well, teaches us, first off, who Jesus is. I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier. It teaches us that he is God in the flesh, that he is um, uh, the 
non-created, only begotten Son of the Father, who is able to do anything that he wishes uh, by the power of his word and by uh, his work. Uh, It teaches us then uh, this important fact so that we can look ahead also to the reality that God is going to die on the cross to forgive us all of our sins, that that same Jesus is both these uh, Jesuses. It's the one Jesus. So that's, that's really... I think a key part of taking out of this text is understanding that Jesus is God and that he can do these things, and he's not just a magician, he's not just a, um, you know, Pharaoh's henchman who pulls a trick or whatever. He's able to create things out of nothing by the power of his word. Creator God and Jesus are one and the same. The, uh, the one who created the fish... The one who two weeks earlier called all the fish into Peter's net is now multiplying the fish so that the people have a full belly. Uh, it's one and the same God. And, and we've said this numerous times. We cannot say it enough. Every miracle clearly teaches that Jesus is God in the flesh. These supernatural events can only happen if God is doing them. And every miracle points forward to the mother of all miracles. As Pastor Moline said, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so we, ha- we have that. And too many preachers, too many people look at miracles like this and they forget that or they skip that. Now, the fact that Jesus provides and that the people are satisfied. Vicar, you've been here for a year. You've been practicing to be a preacher for a year. Um, Is it your general experience over the last year that pretty much everybody you run into is satisfied? No, the the sinful world continues. Um, we, We remind our parishioners that they are sinners and saints. And They do not act satisfied, but we've given them the nourishment they need to survive this veil of tears, to get through it, and we remind them of it every week. No, we don't always act like saints. None of us do, but um, we hope for the best and return to God's word, return to God's word. Pastor, when I hear the word satisfied, I want to describe that with the word contentment. Is that a is that a fair way to put those two together? I, I think it is um, to not need any more, right? And this is not Jen just referring to uh, the food. Yes, we have that part. We also have three days worth of hearing the sermon and and preaching of Jesus out here in the wilderness, and they're satisfied in that desire as well. And we ought to also, in the same way, be satisfied with the Word and with the Lord's Supper and not try and add or subtract to that or, or look for more than that. That's the things that God gives that can satisfy our faith and our life. Okay. So in this... Uh marvelous miracle, a miracle that sometimes is very, very underappreciated in God's Word. And I'm, I'm very, very thankful that it's once a year in the one-year series. It's one of those 52 significant gospel readings for us to focus in on, that we have Jesus taking care of us both in body and soul. In the same way that he took care of the people body and soul 2,000 years ago, he continues to take care of us body and soul. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Don't change that dial. 
listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska each week. We look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday to help your divine worship time. Today we're looking at the readings for the seventh Sunday after Trinity. We've said many, many times the gospel reading drives the theme and uh, really sets the stage for the theme of the day. The Old Testament reading, then, is chosen to match, encourage, supplement that reading. Today, our Old Testament lesson is from Genesis 2, 7 to 17. Vicar, take it away. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, well, how's that for a happy note right off the bat here? Uh, The day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God's pronouncement of law, God's... uh, Uh, warning that uh, Adam and Eve were uh, restricted only in this one way, in this beautiful garden that God had planted. Pastor, there there are so many little sections and subsections to this text. It's really kind of hard in a uh, 13-minute segment to do justice to everything. Uh, I did a Bible study, uh, oh man, seven or eight years ago on Genesis 1 1 to 11, or Genesis chapters 1 through 11, and we went in great, great detail, especially in Luther's commentary on these words, and uh, it's, just, it's just pure gold. It's just pure gold. Uh, right off the bat, the Lord God formed, and uh, Vicar almost stumbled on this because it's kind of a, uh, a double play here. He formed the man of dust from the ground. The man of dust from the ground. 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living creature. Is there any significance there, Pastor, that uh, the man is called the man of dust and then from the ground? Well, um, it is kind of an interesting uh, English translation in this regard, but it does uh, kind of bring across what the Hebrew is telling us. This man, we know his name is Adam, uh, and that name itself means dust uh, as well, or land, as well as uh, man. Uh, And so it has that double entendre that's there. Uh, He forms the dust from the ground into the man, uh, and then also we have in the same sense, because of this genitive construction, that he is the man of dust. And so it has this both ways. Ways, uh, at the same time sort of thing, and that's the reality, and we say that reality uh, most uh, famously on um, Ash Wednesday when we say, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the reality for all mankind as a result of the fall into sin. Uh, when we die, our body will decay into the dust of the ground. The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out. Uh, that's where we are headed eventually. And here in Genesis 2, there is no sin, and so this man of dust is going to live forever. Uh, until and unless sin comes into the world. And so this is not some kind of a premonition that God knew what was going to happen or whatever. Uh, he, he, he literally is the man from the soil. And now that sin comes into the world to, do, to dust or soil or to decay, we turn. Um, the, uh, the Lord God planted a garden. The Lord God made to spring up every tree. That is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The significance in the fact that God is the one who plants the garden and makes the trees and the garden grow and be fruitful. Pastor? Well, we see here the fulfillment of what we say in the small catechism. God uh, forms the man, gives him his body and soul, eyes, ears, and reason, all of his members, and takes care of them. And he also gives him clothing, shoes, food, drink. I guess not clothing yet, but he's giving him the things necessary to support his body and life. Uh, I think also it's important to point out here, God is uh, showing him what his job is going to be to work the garden, to take care of it. And so God is uh, showing him, you know, this is what I've done. I've given you this. This is how I planted it. And you're going to do the same thing. Um, And this is important, too, because we see here that God also gives... a purpose or a job to the man. And, and this is one of the things, I don't know if you've noticed it when you visit people in the nursing home, uh, men who are retired in the nursing home, one of the biggest challenges they have is that they have nothing to do and they're not used to that. They need a, a reason to be. And God gives that here by showing the man uh, how to plant and care for the garden as well. It's Im- important. And uh, uh, Pastor had uh, uh, skipped ahead to verse uh, 15, I think it is. Um, Uh, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. We have vocation here. And this is before sin comes into the world. There is nothing sinful with work. This is a good thing. One of the things that I've noticed with the uh, pandemic and the aftermath is uh, some people now all of a sudden don't want to work. I can make more money collecting my government check than I can by going to work, so I'm just going to sit home and binge watch Netflix. This is not good. This is not healthy. It's not only not healthy for the economy, but it's not healthy for the individual. It's not healthy for families. We are created to work. Work is a good thing. And uh, 
there is enjoyment and fruitfulness in our work. Not that sin is in the world. Not every aspect of work is fun. There are some parts that are just downright a drag, even as a pastor. But work is a good thing. And uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we, uh, we read again and again and again how important work is because people work. They work hard. And then after they work hard, they don't have time or energy to go out and sin. They sleep. They eat. They sleep. They work. And life is good. And the part of work that you don't like is actually the corruption of sin that has uh, destroyed God's good gift of work. And, uh, and so when you're irritated at your job, just remember that part of it. Pastor, um, you're, you're the geographical expert stud uh, on the staff here. Um, we, get, we have these four rivers, this, uh, this section here, uh, beginning in verse 10, and uh, goes to verse 14, I believe, 10 to 14. Most pastors, when they're preaching, they just skip over this part. You know, there's a river there, and it breaks into four other rivers. Two of the rivers we know, uh, Tigris and Euphrates. The, uh, the other one, uh, you know, we turn red when we say it because we don't want to say a bad word. Um, is there any significance in this section that we should and our hearers should be made aware of? Um, well, I, I think, you know, we do know the Euphrates and the Tigris for sure. Those are the ones that flow through Iraq uh, today. And there, there's a reason that they still have the same name. Uh, we also know the land of Cush, uh, which is um, uh, probably the Nile River, uh, is that same area. Uh, the, the region of Cush is in modern-day Ethiopia. Uh, and it's very likely the other one uh, could be uh, maybe a, a river that's over now in um, India. It could be one that's up in... In, uh, the northern part, uh, uh, you know, towards Turkey and uh, uh, Europe, uh, but it gives us a general area that this is in the Middle East, this Garden of Eden is located. Um, and so we notice an interesting thing, the fact that these rivers actually flow backwards. In our world today, rivers flow into the sea uh, from little tiny streams and things like that. In this case, God is watering the entire earth by having these rivers divide out and flow into all the earth. And so the flood has kind of destroyed that and corrupted that and moved that around afterwards. But we see here again God providing water for all the world. And this is important because up until the time of Noah's flood, it actually doesn't rain. But instead, this river waters and there's a mist that rises and waters. Waters, uh, but there's not actually rain, which is why um, the whole rainbow. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Noah is warned. Uh, you know, whenever it rains, there'll be a rainbow, and that way you'll know it's not uh, the end of the world again. Uh, we kind of take rain for granted today. It uh, it is important because um, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. God not only planted. God not only made it grow, but God continues to provide. That's where our connection is very, very clearly with the miracle of abundance and the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark chapter 8. In the time that we have left, Pastor, um, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know, if God had just not given that command, then everything would have been fine. So, so it's all God's fault, right? 
Well, actually, we even have a great hymn that explains this, the, the law of God is good and wise. Uh, this also is a good thing because it gives Adam and Eve a place to worship. And what is worship other than to speak God's word and to repeat it back to him? God gives his word and we say it. And so we have here a, a word from God. Uh, you shall not eat from this tree, but all the rest you can. And so their church services, that would have been the sermon every single week uh, when they got together and worshiped. And uh, it also is good because it shows God's love and care for his people uh, to tell them what's good and what's not good. And uh, uh, and so all this is also a gift from God that we ought to appreciate. And once again, we don't like the law now today. That's because of our sinful natures that don't like to hear that. So we need to keep that in mind also. So the law was given before the fall into sin. And so we cannot say that the law is a result or consequence of sin. Or that it's bad. Or I, that it I, I is think bad. That's something we like to say today, right? Um, it's good that we tell people the things they're doing are sin or wrong. And we like to, if we're the one on the receiving end, we always think that's bad, but it's not. And, and uh, just a simple illustration, um, the stoplights, the traffic signals on the street, uh, when the light is red, do, does that mean that you've been a bad person? That, that that rule or that law is bad. No, it is for your safety. It is for your protection. And when everyone knows and acknowledges that red means stop, uh, God is saving and preserving your life when that happens. It's when somebody takes the law into their own hands that we have accidents, we have trouble. Just and in riots. That, uh, well, yeah, I was going to say that one little example of the traffic sign can be expanded into every other aspect of life. Uh, sadly, we're out of time on this segment. When we come back, we're going to take a look at our epistle reading, some familiar words from Romans 6. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. to K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in. We're looking at the readings for the seventh Sunday after Trinity. In our first segment, we introduced our gospel reading, Mark 8, 1 to 9. We concluded that look at our gospel reading in our second segment. In our third segment, we looked at that uh, unique and interesting reading from Genesis 2, 7 to 17. The law is not bad. The law of God is good and wise. It was given before the fall into sin. But we know that that's uh, not the reality now. We have sin. Sin came crashing down with the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and we've been dealing with that sin ever since. Our epistle reading is Romans 6, 
19 to 23. It comes at the uh, culmination, the uh, end of the chapter that is a marvelous, marvelous baptism chapter. Talks about uh, connecting us to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it ends with one of the most beautiful, one of the most concise, one of the clearest passages on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Vicar, take it away. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your member as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Very, very familiar Bible passage. Many people have that as their confirmation verse in the Lutheran Church. If someone wants to know what what Lutherans mean when we uh, talk about, as we often do, the proper distinction between law and gospel, this is generally one of the first Bible passages that is quoted. And so it is, uh, it is out there, it's clear, and it's concise. But we have a lot of stuff that leads us up to that conclusion, that concluding verse. Um, Vicar, uh, can, you, can you help us set the stage with what's going on in the first 18 verses of Romans 6 with regard to uh, baptism, death and resurrection of Jesus, all that kind of stuff that Paul is introducing here in the early part of this chapter? Yeah, he's talking about dying again and being born again from above in the waters of baptism because we had died with Christ and, be, and because of that we also be resurrected with Christ. So this is uh, an example of how the new life begins before he gets into this last part of uh, Romans 6 into how your life should continue as a Christian. Yes, and uh, th- this how to live and how... We are saved. All of these things uh, are a constant question and also a uh, constant battle. There's, there's a question that Paul keeps asking in Romans, and he does at the very beginning of Romans 6. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? It's really a proper use of the law in the life of a Christian. Now that we are saved by grace through faith and the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus, what do I need that law for? The law only condemns. The law only convicts. But, Pastor, you said in our last segment that the law of God is good and wise, and the law of God is not evil. Is Paul connecting us with that thought that we brought out in Genesis 2 here in Romans? I think he is. And uh, I think this is a big problem we have in Christianity uh, in general today, where we have this idea that 
since Jesus has forgiven all sin, we're free to do whatever we want to. And, and the dangerous thing with that is that open, unrepentant sin actually hurts and kills faith, uh, and, and we have to take that into account. And so if I'm struggling with a sin, uh, and I know that God forgives all sins through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I still need to fight against that sin each and every day so that my open, unrepentant sin doesn't kill the faith that actually brings the forgiveness of God to me. And so uh, I, I deal with the sin. I seek to avoid it when I give in to the sin. I need to confess that sin and be forgiven. And uh, I need not embrace it and make it my identity, but rather let Christ himself be my identity. And that's now, this whole slavery thing. What are we going to be a slave to, to our sinful nature or to our Lord and Savior Jesus? You know, you, you talked there about uh, open, unrepentant sin, uh, killing or quenching faith or whatever. I thought that once a person believed, they they were in in the uh, kingdom forever. You know, this whole once saved, always saved. Isn't that, uh, isn't that what the Bible teaches? So you're a Calvinist then. <laughs> um, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, um, there's lots of warnings, some from our Lord Jesus himself who say, uh, be on guard, watch out, keep guard uh, of your faith so that it doesn't get hurt or destroyed by the sinful nature and by the world and by Satan. Those things seek to destroy your faith. They don't want you to be saved. Satan wants you to go to hell because he has to go to hell. And um, it's it's kind of like, you know, when I was a kid, one brother got in trouble. Uh, he made sure the other two went down with him uh, when, the, when the reckoning came with the parents. Uh, that's what Satan wants for you as well. Well, and so we need to be on guard. Vicar, a little bit on this whole slavery thing. Uh, you know, when we think of slavery, immediately negative connotations come up, especially as Americans. But here, Paul seems to be saying it's okay to be a slave as long as you're a slave to the right thing. Help us unpack that. So, sure. He's speaking in a language that these people can understand. First of all, slavery was, slavery was so bad Slavery was so bad that sometimes the female slaves would have to bear four to five children of their masters, human men masters, and giving up of those children would then buy her, that would buy her her freedom. Um, so slavery then being as terrible as it could have been, he's talking to them. But uh, again, that's because they were slave to the works of man, slave to men. Instead... Do that instead, having been saved, having been baptized into Christ's death, having been um, knowing now that you're going to be resurrected into his resurrection, be a slave to God instead. Pastor, I'm going to I'm going to uh, step on some uh, shaky ground here. God's word teaches that you're a slave one way or the other. Yes, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Yes. So in our world today, we have all of a sudden a lot of talk about slavery and, uh, you know, how bad slavery was in America. Uh, we've had protests even here in South Lincoln, right by the vicar's house, uh, not too long ago, just a few weeks ago, that we need to pay reparations for everybody who was a slave um, at the at the risk of uh, uh being misunderstood, and I, and I hope and pray people are listening, listening very clearly. 
are people who are obsessed with this kind of slavery in a country where we haven't had slavery for 150 years, um, reparations and all this kind of stuff, are they bordering on being slaves to the wrong kind of thing? Because everybody's a slave one way or the other. To be obsessed with the sins of the past or someone else's sin or whatever, is this an indication that our faith is weak or absent? Well, it, it's missing out on the forgiveness of sins that Christ has Thank won. you. That's, that's, the, that's what I wanted to say, and you articulated it better than me. Yeah, um, because everybody's a slave to sin uh, in some way in their life, and they have been, um, especially before their baptism and before they're hearing the Word of God. We're all born sinful and uh, slaves to sin, and it's only the forgiveness of sins that sets us free from being a slave to sin. And so when we try to bring up things that happened hundreds of years ago, even if they happened for a very long time, uh, when we, you know, you talked about reparations, reparations are all trying to turn that on its head. We're going to make the uh, people who owned slaves now slaves to those who were slaves. And we're just turning things upside down. And behind it all, it just creates a vicious cycle that ultimately, if we take it to its logical conclusion, is unable to undo the wrongs. Uh, there's only one thing that can make things better, and that's the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Um, that puts a halt into all these difficulties and challenges so that we have a way to deal with one another without having to worry about their past. And I think that speaks that that key component that's missing, the forgiveness of sin. I think that speaks to rioting, to looting, to tearing down statues, to history revisionism, all this kind of stuff that, that seems to be on the rise in our country. What's missing is the forgiveness of sins. Right. And, and I think that's an important thing because that's where we can start to deal with one another in a proper fashion, right? So uh, someone who I meet on the street that disagrees with me politically, who uh, disagrees with me even socially in the way that we behave in a public place, all those things, we might seem like we have nothing in common, but the place where I can actually start is to say um, that person is a person that Jesus Christ loved enough to bleed and die for, uh, and they have the forgiveness of sins uh, from Jesus, even if they don't believe it or understand it, they have that. And so I'm able then to start my conversation and ability to interact with that person with that in mind, and that changes the way that I can behave towards them as well. And it's a free gift. Uh, you don't have to uh, pay uh, for the sins of the past or for someone else's sins. It's a free gift earned by the blood of Jesus. Vicar, would you bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day? Let us pray. O oh God, whose never-failing providence orders all things, both in heaven and earth, we humbly implore you to put away from us all hurtful things and to give us those things that are profitable for us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Poppy. Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One today, seventh Sunday after Trinity. When you get up on Sunday morning, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastors, please. But most importantly, go to church. 
God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you again next week.